Greetings, and welcome to Broken Boxes Podcast. Nine years after our first conversation on Broken Boxes, I got to circle back with one of my besties and the incredible artist now known as Amaryllis R. Flowers. Amaryllis works across materials from drawing to video to performance to clay, creating a visual language, paying attention to the spaces in between categories, and revering those that know the trouble and pleasure there. It was a warm early summer day, and we sat outside in the clover fields at the Rockefeller Brothers Estate in New York, where Amaryllis was an artist in residence at the Picantico Center. In our conversation, Amaryllis reflects on her journey in claiming and reframing what the term artist can mean, how it can evolve. She gives us a glimpse into the adventures and miseducation of the formal art school path and how her experiences in academia have had lasting effects on her life and practice, both positive and negative. Amaryllis takes some time to speak vulnerably about mental health and how stigmatized certain diagnoses still are in our society. She shares her own path to healing over the past few years and provides tangible resources and support systems she has gleaned in finding wellness. We speak to her current experience of reclaiming her way as artist as she reforms a more balanced and generative relationship with her practice and the art world. Amaryllis R. Flowers is a queer Puerto Rican-American artist living and working in upstate New York. She earned an MFA from the Yale School of Art and her BFA from California College of Arts and Crafts. Her work is exhibited both nationally and internationally, and she has been awarded the Picantico Prize from the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, is a current Joan Mitchell Fellow, and a Creative Capital Awardee. Okay, you ready? Ready. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> okay. Story time. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Broken Boxes Podcast. Thank you, Ginger Donnell. <laughs> we have been friends for a long time. I don't know exactly how long, but over a decade. Yeah. Um, and you were one of the first artists that I featured on my podcast. Thanks. And I've always been a fan of, of you as a person, and I've gotten to become more and more of a fan as you, as an artist, as your journey as an artist has continued and blossomed and thrived and just taken you out into the world, away from where we met in New Mexico, into so many other places. And it feels very fitting that we come back around and check yeah. in on you after all these years, <laughs> since you just recently checked in on me <laughs> on, our, on a few episodes ago. <laughs> so I think the best way to start would be to um, share with everybody listening where we are, because mm -hmm. you can hear the birds, um, you can hear planes, you can hear... Uh, all of the environmental sounds and we're sitting here in this beautiful grassy field mm -hmm. and I'd love for you to let people know where we are describe it give us an image ID an image ID <laughs> of the land <laughs> um, well I also just wanted to say too man I just appreciate you so much and 
for so many reasons and I really appreciate this podcast and the work that you've been doing for going on a decade like that's a pretty incredible amount of time to be doing a project that's so rich and um, if if anyone listening to this hasn't yet listened to the interview that I did with Ginger, I got to interview her for just marking the nine-year anniversary. I highly suggest going back in the archives, just a few episodes back, and listening, because everything that you shared was really, really impactful. And it's been such an honor to be your friend and to watch your work grow um, mm. alongside you as well. Thank you. And it is so amazing to be here um, with you. We're on the East Coast right now. We're in New York in a small town called Terrytown, about an hour away from Manhattan. And we're sitting right now on the um, estate of the David Rockefeller Art Center. It's a 216-acre estate that uh, is owned by the Rockefeller family. It's where the family has lived for generations and then recently turned it over to be used as a, as a historical site in an arts organization, which is what brought me here. I'm just the second visual artist to be a resident in the new studio. So this studio opened up six months ago. And Ginger and I right now are sitting in a grassy meadow surrounded by really, really giant trees um, we're sitting in the grass and there's clover popping off. It's springtime. There's some flowering bushes. I don't know what these flowers are called, but they smell like honeys and apples, kind of, to me. There's a large stone wall that looks like it used to have an archway or an entrance that Ginger is sitting in front of right now but it's been blocked off with a bunch of uh, stone masonry. And the wild is wildin'. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty interesting place. Mm. So, and I've been here for the past two months, and so it's so special to be able to have some face-to-face -face time, even though I get to see you every week. It's not the same over Zoom. Yes. yes. Oh, thank you. Well, I think a beautiful way to kind of dive in would be to give a little recap on who you are, where you come from, and then how our relationship came to be. Like, mm -hmm. wh why do we chat on Zoom every week? <laughs> <laughs> but let's, let's hear about where you come from. Like, what's your, what's your story? I've been thinking about it because Although I never listened to the interview that we did like eight years ago on this podcast, I was trying to think of like a different way to tell that story mm -hmm. just because like all of us, we get used to telling one track of our story or one part of ourselves all the time. But there's so many different parts and there's so many different experiences and ways to tell a story. But um, so I grew up moving around my whole life all on the East Coast, down South and Midwest. And uh, I was trying to just like think about my story in terms of um, art and how I became to be an artist because mm -hmm. that wasn't something that I was familiar with as an option growing up. But you know what's really cool? So my mom uh, was a single mom 
and she was constantly creative because we did not have a lot of money most of the time it was the struggle bus and she was so creative in just the different ways that she figured out how to um, support the artist in me so in eighth grade and this kind of goes into schooling which I think we'll come back to mm -hmm. but I had a really really fucking hard time in school it was not something that was easy for me at all in terms of focusing in terms of testing and then also in terms of so like the social lifestyle uh <laughs> the social lifestyle of being a kid yeah it's real it's real <laughs> yeah. like kids are f it's fucking hard on each rugged other. so hard mm -hmm. on each other like kids are just throwing all the shit that they're processing about the world at each other you know mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. uh, school was really really rough for me all the way starting from like very early on um, elementary school and then in eighth grade I dropped out of eighth grade and my mom was working full-time and she made a deal with me she was like okay I'm going to like pull you out of school with the promise that you graduate high school like you have got to graduate high school and I'll like do you this solid, you know, but that's the deal. And so I dropped out of eighth grade. And so I'm doing like air quotes because about homeschooling, because my mom was, there's no way that she could do that for me. Right. But she's like, uh, she would be like, okay, uh, you know, read this book, write up an essay, bada bing, bada boom. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, like she was still, yeah like still working to keep my mind engaged and one of the things that happened during the, that year was an introduction to art mm. so that that year was really like my introduction to art in terms of like making it you know or because I had always art before and and it still continued to be this but it was really through stories you know um, because we were moving around so much, there was nothing that we, we really didn't have a whole lot that we brought with us from place to place. A lot of our moves really were um, happening very quickly. It's not something that we had like a, a house that we were moving. We had a very small amount of belongings that we would bring from place to place. So art was in storybooks mm -hmm. and art was also in the public libraries um, and in drawing, you know? I found drawing to be something that really, really anchored me in the midst of constant change and a little bit of like the chaoticness of having to learn new spaces and new places constantly. And so that year that I dropped out of the eighth grade, my mom thinking back on it, it must have been so like scary for her you know because she was literally just like all right I'm gonna set up figure out ways to occupy your time so that your mind is still engaged um but I gotta go to work so <laughs> good luck <laughs> I gotta go to work and this means that you're gonna graduate high school because you fucking promised me so um, <laughs> so what was so cool though it was a very small town in Wisconsin which um, was really, really difficult for me uh, culturally, just so much xenophobia and racism and classism. And um, she found this, I don't, I can't even remember what it 
was exactly because it wasn't what we think of as an art supply store where it's just like you know we're full of just different art supplies that you know professional artists might go and get what they need it was something a little different it was run by this old woman she must have been in her 70s or 80s she had some old like a kind of old school white lady name I want to say mini perhaps <laughs> but I might actually just be totally making that up <laughs> let's call her mini <laughs> um and she ran uh, uh painting classes mm. out the back of her shop and it was literally quite literally it was me so I was like this <laughs> little like eighth grader you know a uh, little brown femme queer eighth grader in the middle of fucking wisconsin and i was painting with like 70 and 80 year old white people and she was so awesome because she could care less you know what i mean she was just there to like enjoy herself and to paint and what was so cool is it was all landscapes so you would learn like every class you would take a landscape painting that she had probably done like you know 50 of that same landscape so it's not like we were out observing anything she would put in front of us a painting and then she would teach us how to build that landscape so I remember learning how to make like birch trees and you would put masking tape on the canvas and then um, when you pulled it up, it was like these straight uh, white lines that then you could fill in with like brush strokes that made it look like eyes in the tree bark. And what was so memorable about that was that was the first time that I learned that you can just do it. That when you look at something before it felt so totally impossible, like an impossible language like how do people do that and she just broke it down step by step and we just made these landscapes and it was one of those things where people would think about it as like it was very much like crafty it was something that in the art world people might look down on as like oh that that they're like a hobbyist or um just doing something to pass their time and for me it was like totally transformative because it felt like oh I can like anyone can do this you know it's just a matter of steps and techniques and it was also the first time where I discovered color because whereas before it was like um well actually I went back to the materials that uh, I would use in like after school programs which is like watercolor, markers, colored pencil, paper, glue, Elmer's glue, scissors, like that's <laughs> exactly what I'm doing now. Mm -hmm. But that class was the first time that I saw like alizarin crimson and ultramarine blue and like all where I got to like experience color in a totally different way. And I'm amazed that I got that opportunity that's what I mean like my mom was really creative in terms of figuring that out so even though from that moment to now it was an extremely rocky road and it still is in terms of figuring out what does that mean mm -hmm. to be an artist but that was like one of the moments yeah that I remembered like oh yeah we're we're here we're painting you know what I mean we're just like making <laughs> 
making shit and it's just steps and it it calms the nerves and it makes you feel or it made me feel like I could stay in one like I could just sit and be in one place so that gives us a good idea of kind of how art nurtured you through to this point Mm -hmm. but in the more immediate past you've had a lot of experience with institutional education Mm -hmm. even though you came from like this kind of homeschool background or a background that um maybe is unconventional Mm -hmm. in certain ways you found yourself going to a couple of pretty um, renowned art schools Mm -hmm. throughout your adult life so can we talk a little bit about what got you into the mode to go to school Mm -hmm. and how that reacted to your person to your being Mm -hmm. that part of your story okay i'm gonna go off it's a story time because there's like it's like I can either take a short route or a long route, but Broken Boxes is all about the long form. Let's just fucking get into it. Yes, please. (laughs) I'm all, let me take my jacket off. No, let's get comfy. (laughs) Okay, so flash forward. I promised my mom I'm going to graduate high school. And let me tell you, that was a project. It was so hard. And my mom saw how much of a difficult time I was having passing classes and how much of a difficult time I was having in school and she also saw how creative I was but she was like there's no you know what I mean in our mind she's she was terrified of me not being able to find a way to make money because it was so hard for me in school and she was like okay you're creative but like I have no idea how to help you figure out how to be an artist Uh, and actually like feed yourself you know Mm -hmm. what I mean and that was always like very very important and so she helped me get into beauty school so I was doing this high school program where I was uh, learning a trade it was called the BOCES program so it was like you were you were passing high school classes but then you're simultaneously learning a trade to be able to help you enter a job market after graduating high school so I went to beauty school in rural New York (laughs) and I dropped out of that because um, of again like the cultural environment was extremely white and so I was learning how to I was learning beauty for everyone but me and my community (laughs) wow interesting (laughs) and it was so rough oh my god it felt horrible Um, even though I loved you know cutting hair and nails and all that kind of stuff So I dropped out of that. When I graduated high school by the skin of my teeth, I was like, I am, I remember the exact moment. I was like, I never have to go back. Like, I'm fucking free. I'm never gonna do this again. And bitch, never say never because. (laughs) The truth. Never say never because then I went to New Mexico. I found myself in New Mexico. So after high school, I just went and worked, you know, job to job in Santa Fe. I was mostly doing service 
work um mm -hmm. barista you know barista restaurants i was painting houses for rich people for a while which i feel like is kind of funny because a lot of artists we find ourselves like painting <laughs> houses and actually doing a horrible job <laughs> i fucked up so many rich people's uh, houses you um, put a plant yeah <laughs> I put a plant fern does wonders <laughs> Um, you know, just like any, any, just how we do, right? Mm -hmm. We just like do the all hustle. the jobs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Santa Fe was such an amazing place to be in my twenties because one, it's a, it's a place where there's so many people in the service industry. So there's actually like, it was possible, you know what I mean? For me to just like get jobs there. Mm -hmm. And also because I met it, you all, you know, there's an incredible, incredible artist community in Santa Fe. I can't believe my luck when I look back, honestly, because then I got to meet all of these young people who, my age who were just like making art for the fuck of it. And also because of um, IAIA in Santa Fe, there are all of these artists who were studying art, which was the first time that I that I came into contact with like higher education mm. in art mm -hmm. and so I, it, it was so incredible like art, Santa Fe is kind of one of the art capitals of the world mm -hmm. and I had no clue but what was so cool is I got in with like our community who like we were all, do everyone was doing underground work. There was like people that were at IAIA and getting the degree and all of that. But our homies, like our community, it was just like putting on weird, just experimenting, like yeah. putting on weird shows performances, doing like live painting. I got uh, introduced to the graffiti scene there in Santa Fe. And we were just making art all the time that then it just kind of continued that thing in me or nurtured that thing in me that like I made art my whole life because I had to, it was my rock, you mm. know? So in Santa Fe was when I realized I had an experience where I eventually started working as a youth education and outreach coordinator for uh, middle schools, high schools, homeless shelters, and uh, detention centers in New Mexico, in Santa Fe, and the surrounding areas. Because the schools at that time were pulling art programming, they were the first things to go. All these budget cuts were happening. And so then we were going in and we were kind of doing like supplemental art programs and, po and poetry. That was my big thing. Mm -hmm. And there was an opportunity for me to uh, be promoted. I was an assistant to that program. There was an opportunity for me to be promoted to run that program. And I was so fucking ready. And I remember being in the meeting where they were offering me this and I knew what the person who had that job she was working half the week and she was I knew how much money she was making mm -hmm. so they wanted me to work full-time and they offered me half of her sal salary and I was like exactly Gee, if you can see that yeah the face ginger is making I was like uh hold the phone let's like unpack this what's happening rewind and they're like well you have a high school degree you don't have the qualifications to do this job Wow. Um, so we don't have to start you at the rate that this other person 
uh, started. And I was so like floored and probably that was just me being naive in terms of not understanding what a college education uh, does buy you into. Mm-hmm. And I started asking around and my friends were like, yeah, I even was asked for my college degree when I went and applied to like Trader Joe's and all these other places, like people are expecting that. So it was a combination of that and then working with young people who wanted to go into art school and did not know how to do it and did not know how to apply. And I realized I had no idea either. Mm -hmm. So I remember talking to one of our mutual friends who is a, a working artist and she was like and I was just like girl how do you do this you know what I mean and she was like you just like honestly you have to go to school mm-hmm. and I'll sit down and I'll show you um, all of these different programs and that kind of began the process because I was such an atrocious high school student there was no way a college or a university that wasn't art, an art school would consider me. Like, I, there was no way they would even look at my application. So I was actually really lucky because mm. art schools don't care as much about that. So that's what got me to the California College of Arts and Crafts was that. I, I know that's a long ass story, but I'm like, that's, <laughs> no, let's talk about it. Lay it out, please. Yeah, should I go into Yale? Yes, well, well, I want to hear a little bit about your experience at California College for Arts and, and Crafts. Because <laughs> <laughs> when I lived in Oakland, it was and Crafts, and C-I-C, crafts, I know. and then they were like, oh, let's drop the C. So shady. <laughs> So you were kind of going there right in that transition time. And I just want to, I want to talk about how your experience was going to that school. Like if it jaded you, if it got you pumped and excited, like what was that experience like, like before Yale? Like did it, cause you went to Yale after. So obviously it didn't crush, crush you too much. (laughs) (laughs) It it gave you enough to make you want to keep going. Or I just needed one more, you know, I needed a last Hit straw. Hit me again. Apparently. Hit me again. <laughs> so what was, what what was CCA like? You went, you went to it in Oakland. Yeah. Or on the I Berkeley, on... Oakland border campus, right? Yep. Yeah. So CCAC was such a rude awakening. You know, Yale was too. I'm surprised I didn't quite wrap my mind around what our education was. Mm -hmm. I was so shook when I went to CCA. On the one hand, I'm so grateful because it helped me realize that I really wanted to be a a working artist, Mm -hmm. which I couldn't even admit to myself. When I went to, the reason why I went to CCAC is they're the only school in the country that has a community arts program. So I went there with the focus because that's what I had been doing of community arts which to me was the shit that we had been doing which Mm -hmm. was like literally just organizing arts events and weird shows and like murals and yeah like making art Mm -hmm. with community Mm -hmm. alongside community Mm -hmm. but that program really had a focus on organizations and institutions and making art for organizations um, in service of their mission and Hmm. vision so like working with communities in order to understand what they needed visually as visual like material aid 
and then being able to produce that which a I'm not good at that and B I realize like oh I actually want to make weird shit like I don't want to <laughs> do that <laughs> like I just want to like, I'm not a hotel art kind of a gal yeah I was like <laughs> oh this is so great I, it was such a great experience to clarify that yeah, you know yeah straight up because <laughs> I was like oh yeah I feel horrid this feels awful and exhausting mm -hmm. and I had already come out of being so burnt out from the nonprofit world yeah. and kind of crushed by that world and the, all the competition for funding in that world so I was like okay pivot <laughs> <laughs> pivot into another brick wall pivot I know I know <laughs> well the crafts part was the best part of that school for me mm -hmm. which is why I was so sad when they dropped it because mm. it's also really elitist and it's, it was like this elitist shift to somehow like you know step into like we are a fine arts institution which yeah we could like go off on that but the crafts was the best part because I had taken a metalworking class mm -hmm. and I realized oh my god I love this and you know back to the whole thing that was ingrained in me is like girl you have to figure out a way to pay your rent pay your bills get your food like all this stuff around like sustainability sustaining a life I remember I went into the individualized program because when I met with the chair and she was a badass Christina Lasala I'll always feel grateful for her mm. and I told her and she was like great love it minor in uh, jewelry making because everyone needs their bread and butter yeah and I loved that I loved her for that because believe it or not that's really looked down on in art school of like oh that's not art you know like if you if like let the art speak for itself and people don't talk about money and making money and she was like yeah real talk you do have to figure that out and you can make weird shit you know mm -hmm. so I ended up joining the individualized program and just it was perfect because I just took whatever classes I wanted to take and it was individualized, so. <laughs> Girl, I'm going to do me. <laughs> yeah. So. Wow. Um, I didn't know that about the jewelry making. I've never seen any of your work. Well, here. I'm really not good at it. It turns out. <laughs> it turns out I'm not good at making jewelry. That shit is hard. I was like, I am never going to bargain with a fucking jeweler again because this shit, they're like not getting paid even the prices that they, <laughs> the shit they price their work at, like, you know, they're not getting paid for the amount of hours. So, mm -hmm. but just because it's small doesn't it's, mean it didn't does, take a yeah. long time. <laughs> that shit is hard. I was like, wow, I'm really bad at yeah. this. <laughs> well, you can't be good at everything. <laughs> Oh man, so wow, that's I, interesting. Yeah, so that was CCAC, but it was a culture shock in terms of realizing that there are a lot of people who have been bred to be artists, mm. they've been like trained to enter into art institutions and the academy. And I was so shocked when I took art history classes. I shouldn't have been, but I was. I shouldn't have been in the sense that, of course, art history is like 
playing the same fucking broken record as all history classes. But I guess I, I always have this expectation, like, we're artists. The whole point is to, is to see things from different angles yeah. and to be able to do something different and create something different. But it was just re, it was just ingraining the same power structures, but through art. Mm. And the culture of money was really hard for me there. I wasn't expecting, I guess I, because of Santa Fe and all the work that we had been doing, mm-hmm. I didn't totally understand the relationship between wealth and art and going to art school was an education in that. Interesting because although it's an education in that it seems like something I'm learning because I went to school for theater and not art um, is that artists aren't taught about like how to manage any anything part of their career. Um, It's just taught how to um, handle critique and like um, put ideas out but not about how to like survive right so true so the wealth part of it was an assumption that that wasn't a critical part of an art school curriculum Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying Mm -hmm. it was like I mean I know you know Mm -hmm. it was just like assuming a certain amount of wealth and then focusing on art and what you're saying critique and being able to speak about it in relationship to the culture of the art world but you know what like so it's just so outdated because that's not the case anymore you Mm -hmm. go to art school you go to or when i went to yale like yeah sure there are really fucking rich people who have all of their basic human needs taken care of and they are making art in that world but majority majority of us actually aren't Mm -hmm. we're getting scholarships we're figuring out how to get government funding and how to get funding from the schools and we're not coming from that place so the curriculum hasn't caught up to the way that the demographics of our education is changing, you know? Mm -hmm. So I definitely wasn't unique in that experience. It's just that we never talk about it. So it's just so invisible. Yeah, and it's interesting too to have that experience in a place like Oakland. I mean, I lived in the Bay Area for quite some time and I mean, there's just such a rich community that reminds me of like that DIY community in Santa Fe, you know, like I also found that in Oakland and I'm sure you did too. Like we have overlap in friendship there too. And so was that kind of like your saving grace or like your anchor in dealing with this very kind of like white art world space that CCA was holding you under? (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. I wasn't there. Now I'm I'm leading the question. (laughs) Oh, totally though. I mean, that was the benefit to going as a grown ass person. (laughs) You know what I mean? Is that I wasn't so like susceptible yeah I can imagine going there as an 18 year old I bet I would feel a level of shame that I just didn't have because Mm -hmm. I like saw what was happening you know and so I knew pretty quickly like oh for the most part like I'm spending my time and my days outside of this institution and I know that I'm here to learn very specific things but my community also 
thankfully for Oakland and for being queer and being in the queer community, that was where I really, like, that was my anchor, mm -hmm. was ha just having community. And then me and one of my best friends and really, like, uh, we call each other platonic life partners, Aww. but um, uh, we moved to Oakland together so we were you know we were living together we were uh working we slowly found our way into the community and that definitely was like such an important balance mm -hmm. yeah i can imagine how much that helped to sustain you through that experience but the question still remains <laughs> why did you go to yale after amen <laughs> What Kool-Aid were you drinking? Oh, so many Kool-Aids. <laughs> Where do I begin? Because I do feel like you mentioned like a friend and other people I've talked to who end up going on the path of higher education kind of fit the puzzle together that it is the most feasible, reasonable route to achieve the goal. Mm -hmm. And I just want to know like after going to CCA and kind of having being demystified a little bit from the higher education art school world and kind of starting to put together things like what made you decide to continue it and go into Yale and were you thinking that it would be different or were you just kind of putting your head down and just being like well I've come this far mm-hmm yep so basically I was pretty I mean a lot of this a lot of the choices that I made were a result of being pretty ignorant to how people figure it out, actually. Like, mm -hmm. how to be an artist in a way that's sustainable. Mm -hmm. It didn't come intuitively to me, and I didn't have an example of how to do that. Mm -hmm. And I had this naive assumption, I think because I saw... I saw a lot of like our community not everyone but i saw a lot of artists in our community graduate from iaia and then like have gallery shows or have an entry pl place into the market that then was supporting mm -hmm. from the outside i don't think that was necessarily true yeah. for most people you mm -hmm. know and and there's so many other factors that can play into that but because of like my ignorance I just saw that from the outside made a bunch of assumptions and I thought like okay if I get this degree then suddenly I, I don't know it's just gonna happen like I'm going to get a show and I'm going to sell work completely didn't understand the politics the um, strategy I didn't understand the market at all. Mm. I remember actually like reaching out to you and Chinupa and I had an incredibly eye-opening conversation with Chinupa about money and mm -hmm. art. And I was so grateful for that conversation because it is something that's so hard to ask other artists about. Yeah. And because he was so transparent about like, yeah, let's talk about money, let's talk about market, let's talk about selling work, you know, mm -hmm. which none of that had been a part of my education. So I was totally like floundering. Because I was in the Bay Area, I started doing 
I was I was trying I was holding out I was trying to maintain some sort of like practice and being able to make my art so I was like in the Bay Area and I was like okay I'm just gonna get like gig work because Silicon Valley it was like that whole boom so there was like by the way that shit is so exploitative I was driving for Lyft, I was doing DoorDash, I was doing Instacart, I was like doing this program called Breeze which totally fucked me over and I went into fucking debt in order to work. It was bananas. Like the the people who are doing gig work like that, like your Lyft drivers, your delivery people like are working so fucking hard for barely minimum wage, mm-hmm. but they sell you this dream that you can make your own hours and you can pull in like two G's a week. That was the narrative in the Bay Area at the time. So I was like, okay, I'll be able to make art and I'll be able to like pull in money and and keep my hours and protect that time. It was a total shit show. I was really struggling in that way. You know, I definitely do want to say in terms of community, it was such a special place for me. Mm In terms of my relationship, I met my life partner there, uh, Kingston, who is just, just I, I cannot believe my luck in finding that person to walk this path with me. Mm. Um, so like in those ways, just so held, you know what I'm saying? But in terms of being an artist, I was fucking drowning. Like I just did not know. And I remember Christina Lasala again, I reached out to her and I was just like, what do I do? Do you have to go to grad school, you know, to figure out, like, do you have to go to grad school to be an artist? Yeah. And she was like, yeah, it'll help, you know? And I was like, well, I fucking hate school and I, I hate the academy and I just don't know, like, should I throw in the towel or should I like do this? And she was like, you have to wait until grad school feels like a gift. Like, don't go until it feels like a gift. Mm. And that was such incredible advice. At a certain point, this is my Yale story. Okay. I'm getting there. We're, we're, so, we're are we, stepping are, into I it. <laughs> oh my gosh, so I'm many right. circles. Oh, you know, that's that life. So that's broken boxes. That's broken boxes. <laughs> Circle. The long form. <laughs> All the way around. So I met with Christina Lasala, the chair of my program, and a total badass artist, by the way. She's like a... I like to call her like a mad scientist artist. She just does whatever the fuck she wants and she has figured out how to really protect her work. Mm. Um, So anyways, we were having that conversation. It was the best advice. Don't go to grad school unless it feels like a gift. Fast forward to like extra, extra struggle bus. And I was like, I just want to make my work. I just want to have a respite and I just want to be able to focus on my practice and so I was starting to get to that place where grad school was the idea of having my stu- a, a studio, the idea of having some of that those uh, funds you know mm-hmm. that school offers to be able to focus on my work and experiment and then also like The Bay Area has a thriving artist community, but I didn't find a lot of visual arts community Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. So I like wanted all of that. Mm -hmm. So I was sitting in a Panera. What what is a Panera? (laughs) Oh, the bread place. Yeah, (laughs) it's a food chain. I was sitting in a Panera because I was going to Michael's 
I needed a tube of white gouache. <laughs> it always starts with the white it's, gouache. It always starts with the gouache. <laughs> I was literally working to support my art habit, essentially. It was like... I just need one more tube I of gouache. I just want, need one more. Just one. <laughs> and then I'll be good. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like... In the Panera, I was having my, like, broccoli and cheese soup. I was literally on empty, like, literally on my phone, and it was at 10%. Uh, the tube of paint I know is going to cost me $20. I had $40 in my bank account minus the Panera lunch, and I was just like, you know what? I feel fucked right now, and I need to, like, figure this out. Like, I need to make a decision or, like, move on, you mm -hmm. know? So I was just like, well, let me just see some of the artists that I like, and did they go to grad school? I looked at 15 artists, 13 out of the 15 had gone to grad school. So then I started looking at the schools that they went to. And Yale came up for a couple of them. Uh, so did School of the Art Institute of Chicago. So did Columbia. I decided to apply to all those schools, mm -hmm. as well as UCLA, because they have a good a reputation for their program mm -hmm. but oh so this is the thing I went on Yale's website it was so opaque I had no idea what the fuck they were talking about I couldn't understand how to apply to the program I was very much like all right am I gonna apply to this school the thing is a lot of these artists that I'm looking at they went to this program so it's keeping my interest so I was there I went into the Michaels to go get my paint I believe in signs, you know, I'm a spiritual person. I went inside to get the paint. I had to use the bathroom. I never used the bathroom in Michael's, but I was like, okay, uh, let me find out where this restroom's at. I opened the door, I looked down, the handle says Yale. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I'll apply and see what happens. All right, already. All right, all right. Wow. <laughs> What a trip. <laughs> Come to find out, Yale makes drawer handles and locks, apparently. It's a thing. Wow. Subliminal yeah. messaging. It was, oh, yeah. <laughs> Opening doors to the toilet, but still, like. <laughs> Locking other doors. Locking other doors, okay? <laughs> Which is a, is a thing. <laughs> Wow. So you applied to several colleges. Yep. And then decided Yale. Yeah. I think at that point, you know, I had I had wanted to prove it to myself. Mm -hmm. To be honest, when I researched it, I didn't know that the the prestige that it held in the art world. But by the time I got in, I did because I had been looking into it. You know, yeah. I had been looking into the program. And at that point, I felt like I had, like, I just wanted to prove to myself that I could do it. Also, like, going into it pretty, pretty naive, you know? Even though I had gone through an arts academy, I had, I had gone through the academia of art, and I hated it. So it's really, looking back, pretty perplexing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I did that, but... I had, I was totally enchanted with the idea of going to Yale and being in this like, like world renowned university. And I'm so grateful I did. It just wasn't the education that I was expecting. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I and mean, I think it's okay to have gratitude and irritation or remorse exactly. or anxiety or like whatever. Like I think we have to figure out a way to hold multiple emotions about life experiences at once. Yeah. And be okay with it, right? Because you never know what the reason is that you opened that Yale door. <laughs> Bringing it back. <laughs> that you, why did you have to pee at that time? <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that's such a beautiful way to say, like, it was totally a hard thing, but also, like, something that you're grateful for, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I want to talk a little bit about, like, what, was hard about Yale because I have never been there. <laughs> I never went there, like physically or mentally. <laughs> like I've, I've never, never, I've never. I'm teleported. sure some of my ancestors have walked across that land at one point, <laughs> but I don't know if Yale was there. So, what was it that was so hard for you in that program? And maybe for others, too, because I've never really gotten and I'm like, maybe it's like you're not supposed to talk about it. It's like yeah. Fight Club or something. It is like Fight Club. <laughs> it totally is. And I don't know how how deep you want to go, but I'd love to like kind of expose some of that wound a little bit for other people who might be listening, who are are juggling with like the what path is the right path for artists. Mm-hmm. I do believe it's a choose your own adventure. I don't believe there's any one right way to do it. Mm-hmm. But like what we can, can do is share each other's experiences and what worked and what didn't for someone like you. Absolutely. That's so true. That's one of the reasons why I love this podcast. I've had to really unlearn the assumption that... I'm going to be able to do it the way someone else does it. Going back to the assumptions that I made about friends that were graduating from IAIA. So I love that. And at the same time, like transparency is so important. It's so valuable to share our stories. So I would love to share what I can in order to contribute Mm -hmm. to the conversation. You know, Yale is an institution on a level that I just didn't totally understand. It's really old. It's a really, really old institution. Other people would be able to speak more on the history that Yale as an institution has been involved in uh, in the context of America and the formation of higher education. Um, and participation in all of those systems of oppression, but it's felt, I will say that, without knowing that it's pretty uh, heavy. It's really grand also. There's so many resources. That's something that was uh, really great. And what I, I will start just with what I loved about the School of Art program. For the most part, most people This is a generalization, so anyone feel free to call bullshit, but, like, (laughs) my experience is, like, most of us who are in the program, like, we're not expected to get into the program in the sense that, like, I think people have an assumption around, like, who gets into Yale 
being bred for Yale. And that's really true in a lot of ways. But I think that the faculty right now, currently at Yale School of Art, are really looking for people who are thinking differently. And that doesn't always mean being engaged with a contemporary fine arts conversation. It can, but it's like ways of, of looking outside and around that. So I respect that. And so my peers were probably like, you know, I came out of there with some incredible friendships, you know? And what's so wild about Yale is like, I had heavy, heavy imposter syndrome, but I kind of felt that from most people that like, again, back to that point of like, who the assumptions made about who goes through that program. Mm -hmm. But this was my thing. This is what crushed me about Yale. It is an institution that is deeply dependent on systems of domination that I do not agree with and I do not want to participate in. And yet I was, because I was there. I was a student there. I was benefiting from the endowment. I will say, one, just as a plug, one thing about Yale is that it has a promise to meet every proven dollar of need. So if you prove that you need a full ride, you will get a full ride. At least it was that way when I went. And, mm. and they, they give no scholarships based on merit. It's only based on need. That being said, <laughs> I kind of was in that place that I think maybe a lot of artists are of, you know, being tied to institutions that, that are out of alignment with value systems that are really important to me. So where, where my, like, naivete really fucked me up in, in terms of my experience there is I was coming from a place of community and care and Oakland where we, like, are constantly trying to trying to adjust and rearrange and trying to change and shift different systems of power. Mm -hmm. It's this huge social experiment that's happening there <laughs> yeah. that is actually really insular. Mm -hmm. And when I came to Yale, I made an assumption that people were interested in an institutional critique of those systems of power and all of my energy, I kind of poured all of my energy and my focus, instead of doing what I was there to do, which is to focus on my work and fucking riding that uh, ticket, you know? Mm -hmm. I was focusing on like so many different systems that were operating invisibly and having those conversations of deconstructing that. And I realized like, oh, this is a, this is a fully functioning machine. It's a really, really old machine. And me coming in there and having this pressure that I put on myself to change this whole thing. Like, to be fair, I mean, I'm not, though. there are many people, it wasn't like an individual amaryllis is coming in here. Like, I wasn't at all. It was simply like a culture shock mm. where I was like, oh, this isn't, what we're doing here. Yeah. Um, there are lots of incredibly wise, intelligent people that are studying there to get the paper and then they're going out and doing that work in the world. That's fucking smart, you know yeah. what I mean? That's what I didn't realize until I was already gone. 
And then the other thing about Yale is it's preparing you for the market, which is kind of an around-the-clock production mode. The critiques are super rigorous. What's expected of you in terms of the amount of work that you're making is also really rigorous. And they're kind of making sure that you know how to do that. But it's incredibly destabilizing. It was for me, I'll say. Some people may thrive in that environment. For me, it totally broke me down. And maybe no one was able to see that except for Kingston, my partner. But I remember seeing you and Shanipa because I remember the t moment when you guys were deciding whether or not you were going to go into an MFA program. And you decided against it. And I saw you guys like working and I was in this institution and I just had this feeling of like, this is where art comes to die. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> it's dramatic, I know, but like... Well, it's, it's wild because I think it can be that. I think that they should have a prep course of what to expect possibly, mm -hmm. you know? Like, I don't know, I feel like the, um, the amount of work that the art world requires is pretty significant if you want to operate at the level of um, consumer culture mm -hmm. and that's what art is doing i yeah. think in a lot of ways is it's it's something to be consumed by an elite class you know yeah. to satiate and clean satiate uh, an urge for culture and also clean, dirty money. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I shouldn't say that online. Say it. It's <laughs> such a great way to put it. But it's interesting because I think that 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 preparation, even though there's no survival kit or survival tactics that are provided to people, they're trying to prepare you for what's to come if you choose to play the game fully. Mm -hmm. But I think like there could be like a simple. A simple addition, possibly. Mm -hmm. Not to give <laughs> Yale notes. Give them notes. <laughs> but I'm like, maybe a little... A li if anyone listening who's, like, got some status at Yale may be, like, thinking about, like, some resiliency program, like, that's embedded that's in that. That's such a good idea. You know, just, like, like, a course that, like, helps to train and prepare artists for, like, the, um, the stability in your mind and your heart and like the choice making to be able to survive in a yeah. in a consumer market, you know? Such a good note. I mean, that's so, I think our uh, programs all over like would just benefit, artists would benefit from why that. Why can't we have both? Yeah. Like why can't we have healthy, happy, like yeah. artists who aren't dying at like 24 of drug overdoses and like depression Amen. and have great art. Like yeah. I, I do believe like you can have both, mm -hmm. but we've been like so polarized. Everything is polarized. We're like a second like football country where yeah <laughs> everything is like red against blue you yeah. know it's like teams yeah I just feel like there is more complexity that we could arrive at and spaces like institutions who are training this next generation as much as they're focusing on diversity equity and inclusion like what about the um holistic and community approaches that those people bring with them like Amen. where's the space for the whole person mm. not just the way the person looks amen that is so true and i think it's something that institutions are 
really grappling with um and we talked about this in your uh, interview as well like with grappling with this shift you know mm-hmm. of like oh it's not just about like the photo op you know <laughs> or it's not just about checking the box yeah. like how about just do that as a baseline and then we actually get to like get to the good stuff yeah. you know which is like culture shift it's change it's like people are making such incredible fucking weird important work Mm -hmm. and let's talk about that let's have like dei be the fucking baseline let's start there and not the end point you know that's a beautiful way to put it i love that and i just want to talk a a little bit or open up a conversation a little bit about Mm well-being and like surviving a space like Yale, like higher education. And I know that you had to kind of um, go through some some healing after that experience. And I just want to open up a space for you to talk about mental health and well-being to whatever capacity you'd like to in relationship to your journey through higher education. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's how we started working together, you know? Mm-hmm. It, it, like, so I want to start with that story, maybe. Yeah. Um, good, yeah. Good starting. Because <laughs> Ginger and I are really good friends, but also Ginger and I have been working together since, when was that? 2021. Mm-hmm. So, like, two, going on two years mm-hmm. of um, doing art. Uh, art uh, well, Ginger is my studio director and um, does a lot of support with uh, completely running social media, um, working on website and communication. I said it in the Artnet interview, but I really do feel like you're Mm -hmm. a weaver and you're connecting all of these different threads and points of communication and just keeping like the integrity intact. Um, And I, so I have for, most of my um, adult life struggled a lot with illness, both physical and mental illness. I was struggling with uh, physical chronic illness for about 10 years and then began, like that began shifting, long story short, and kind of went uh, really headfirst into accelerating mental illness that I had no framework to be able to understand what was happening. But my partner saw it, and my partner Kingston was witnessing uh, witnessing it happening. So I was really not self-aware. And then after graduating from Yale, I mean, the world is <laughs> a pressure cooker, you know? Mm. Um, so I think the world is, Yale is not unique in the stress of it you know of just existing and being alive right now but the work schedule of Yale left me really vulnerable to those mental illnesses so not sleeping for days at a time not eating well you know just kind of like working uh, like around in circles you know being in a, a super like vulnerable place of sharing work that is for me I made a lot of bad work I mean not to place value judgments but I made a lot of work that I did not want to fucking talk about for Uh an hour I'll say (laughs) um like it was just so uh it left me physically and mentally 
vulnerable and shortly after I graduated I had what ended up being a two-year what do I want to say I mean it was like a psychotic break you know Mm. two years of like I had been diagnosed with it was the first time in my ever in my life that I sought out uh, psychiatry because both of my parents for very good reasons very sound reasons do not are are really averse to um, that system and so it was to a point where I was not functioning I was not able to work I wasn't able to sit sometimes I wasn't able to eat just kind of like basic you know caring or existing for oneself in the Mm -hmm. world and I was having uh, I was having experiences of incapacitating suffering and delusions of being evil and being a monster and I would be literally in the house sitting on my hands for days because I was so afraid of what my hands might do. It was completely like took away my ability to be in the world and any energy that I had, Kingston was the one who was seeing this behind the scenes, any energy that I had in between those moments of being totally unable to interact or to work or anything like that, it went all the way into keeping, keeping up an appearance of being capable and be, of continuing my work and being okay. It went into all of a sudden responding to all the text messages because I could do that again, like keeping in like all that energy going into keeping up that appearance of being cool, being being okay, going out, seeing shows, all that kind of stuff. And then I would go right back into it. So it was two years of this. I sought, um, I sought out a psychiatrist who diagnosed me with bipolar disorder, rapid cycling. So I was like working with that. I was taking some medications that were uh, were not working, I'll say. It came to a head where I was hospitalized. But short, like right before then, I think it was like a couple months where I was totally at a loss because Again, I had assumed like, oh, I graduate Yale, that's my ticket. Then I enter into the market, I get shows, blah, 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 all this stuff, you know? And so I was just like doing that same work schedule, like working around the clock, just being like, okay, fucking all in, you know what I mean? Once I get to this certain place, then I can like chill and rest. So I was just like totally at a loss for the first time in my life art became a horribly terrifying place where my whole life it had been my anchor. And then suddenly I was like, I couldn't pick up a pencil for (laughs) months at a time, you know what I mean? And like, 
I was kind of getting these opportunities that I felt like, okay, I need to fucking do this. Like, please, I need to be able to show up. And I was losing work left and right because I literally couldn't make it. I was showing work that I had made like five years prior, you know, because I like could not, I couldn't do it, you know? So I was just like, kind of getting by I mean I was making to be fair what Yale did do that Yale did offer me a step and like a foot in the door so I was actually making uh, money in a way that I never had I was not balling I was basically like just getting by and so I had reached out to you because mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like I can't fucking do this. Like yeah. I don't, this is impossible. There's no way that I can like continue. And I remember us having a conversation and I was just like, oh, makes me tear up because it meant so much to me. Mm-hmm. But I was just like, Ginger, how, how do people do this? And you were like, they have help. Like everyone has fucking help in some way. That's how they do it you know, even though we don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. And even though it's like the individual artist, you know, and all of that like rugged individualism of like, yeah, you're just a fucking genius and you just have limitless energy and you're just in your studio around the clock. Like, I don't know any artist that doesn't like fucking work their ass off. I don't know anyone in this world, you know what I mean? This whole entire economy has been set up to run people into the fucking ground, you know? And so when you were like, yeah, they do it with help. It was such a relief to me because I felt like I'm, oh, I'm not the only one, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, and so I had asked you, like, would you help me, you know, with these, with kind of like, continuing a practice you know and you were so generous and so grounded and so much like yeah absolutely like I got you these are the skills that I have this is what we can work on social media for me I cannot do it because I will have like I will have a panic attack I cannot function and be engaging in the world in that way even though there's so much benefit I realize that has come out of it Mm -hmm. but you were the person that I was like I'm just gonna delete it and you were like I'm sorry I can't let you do that (laughs) (laughs) you were like girl if you want to do this you have got to be like engaging with people you have to be sharing your work online so literally for the past two years I handed it over to you you've been doing that uh, work and I haven't signed on in two years and so it was such a blessing that we started working together that when it hit a breaking point after two years of white knuckling a constant uh, mental crisis I was hospitalized and I was Uh, diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, complex PTSD, depression, and a panic disorder. So it's an embarrassment of riches, really. (laughs) (laughs) So extra. So extra. It's just too much. It's too much. (laughs) And it was like, I have to say out of all of that, what what was the most terrifying for me is being diagnosed with 
borderline personality disorder because it's so stigmatized and I was so ignorant that when they told me, I thought that it confirmed the delusions that I was having about being evil. Because like you fucking, anytime you read about BPD, it's like, mass murderer it's like serial killer it's like you know troubled fucking individuals and like it makes me so angry now that I understand and I've been learning about like not just my own experience but so many people are Mm -hmm. living with this and figuring it out and it's so misunderstood and we don't ask each other questions about it you know and even with all of the like mental health awareness and all of the stuff that like really important work that's being done around destigmatizing mental illness there's some mental illnesses that are like except for (laughs) y'all you know yeah that's what we were talking about earlier on our walk around the property here was just about how in this call for visibility in whatever way that is some sometimes those things that need to come to the surface the most are the ones that continue to be um, kept kept down or not kept down but like maybe kept out of the light because they aren't the most attractive yeah (laughs) it's definitely not attractive (laughs) not the most attractive of the mental illnesses (laughs) you know Um, and I just think it's really important and like I just wanted to say really quick thank you for sharing such vulnerable truths because I know how hard it is to be so transparent and like so honest but even if you're not doing it for your own self, like somebody might be listening to this who might feel a little bit of relief that there's somebody else maybe navigating something similar, you know, Um, and art world or not, it's just like we need to start bringing to light the complexity. Like we were saying, multiple things existing at once and that's okay, you know? Exactly. It's, yeah, I think when we stigmatize Stigmatize? Stigmatize. Stigmatize. Stigmatize and squoze. Squozen? When we squozen it and stigmatize it, stigmatize, it's just, you know, like, I just feel like we can, we can pull the power back just through dialogue, you know? Just through talking about it, all of a sudden, like, even though it's hard and, like, it makes us shake and, like, it makes us tear up, like, being this vulnerable like releases like the gas the pressure in yeah. a way even if it's not only our gas and our, <laughs> our <laughs> <laughs> oh, keep, keep going going off script, going off script. <laughs> <laughs> i'm digressing <laughs> i'm saying thank you thank you for sharing <laughs> that and how how are you doing now? Well, for me, uh, for me, and I know that this is like really contentious for a lot of people who are living with different mental illnesses, but for me, uh, prescription uh, therapy, I guess you would say, like medication has been life-saving and I'm not just making an exaggeration, like it 
has been really necessary for me. And I don't know if it's going to be that way forever. But at the same time, I also entered into a program that was created for, um, it treats people for all different things, but it was created for people with borderline personality disorder, and it's called dialectical behavior therapy. The first DBT, after the hospital, I was transferred to a, a partial hospitalization program, and that DBT program was the first time I experienced it. And it was horrible. It was really uh, not a good experience. But because I was kind of like holding on to that as like uh, a light, you know, at the end of the tunnel, I thank God someone sent me this database in New York called Manhattan Alternatives. And it offers a database of like LGBTQ, BIPOC, sex worker, um, kink-centered psychological care. And they have a DBT program, and it's changed my life. It's been, like, I've been doing it, yeah, for like a year and a half now. And it is one of the most incredible, life-changing modes of therapy. I'm so fucking grateful for it. It has helped me so much and Mm. so I'm in a comprehensive DBT program which just means that I'm doing several different modes of therapy alongside learning the skills in the DBT group and then our work together too lots of things shifted when I went into the hospital it was so incredible that we had started working together because without that I would have lost everything actually I would have burned all the bridges but you were able to like keep me afloat and figure out all of the moving parts and uh, like allow me you figured out different work to be able to be put up since I wasn't able to make anything and I was going to be out of commission for some time you know so like you and Kingston work together to figure all of that out and thankfully because of an award that I had gotten that year, the Creative Capital Award that I got with my friend Terrence, that floated me. Mm. I ended up leaving my gallery because it was not a sustainable relationship. It was um, really unhealthy for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up like kind of like bowing out of most projects uh, that I had lined up for myself for that year. And that's income, you know what I mean? It's not like people think like it's just about like exposure. Like, no, you have to figure out how to make ends meet, you know? Mm -hmm. So when I line up shows for myself, that's like me sustaining my life and in a really unstable career choice, you know? Yeah. So I was able to, this past year has been a year of like after losing my practice, after losing my ability to make my work and to work, period, this year, because of that award, I have been able to build that back up again. And it's actually like, I say that I like lost everything, but in a way I gained everything because I lost the illusion of making it in this one way that I thought was the only way Mm. and then I fucking lost it all you know Mm. that wasn't an option for me anymore 
and I know now like I'm I there's a way that I was working that actually I cannot do that anymore it's not it it literally isn't an option for me but what has been so important about that is that I've I got my artwork back (laughs) that thing that like has sustained my spirit and has been my rock and my anchor my whole life that was my safe place that was my home and I lost it Mm -hmm. and so to like get that back and rebuild that and be like oh like what am I gonna make no matter if no one fucking cares (laughs) you know no matter if I don't have those things lined up Mm -hmm. what's there at the end of the day you know what do I have to offer and it's been like so important for me to be able to build that back up and take it back it's literally been a year of like reclaiming my work you know yeah so right now we're sitting and we've done that together we meet every week yeah you know (laughs) a lot of it we do all of the the like you know business taking care of business kind of thing and then we also do a lot of like homie support too yeah yeah it is definitely really generative for me as well you know because I don't think that people have that lifeline like have somebody to bounce ideas off of and we start to spin out of in our own heads you know regardless of where you are at in your career like when you don't have somebody to decompress or talk with like phone a friend (laughs) (laughs) we have our once a week phone a friend yeah we do But it's really important. It's important to me too. Like the work that we're doing in like kind of building solidarity and learning how to like look at things differently and just like kind of not not take what's served as um, as the only way, you know, to like really truly choose our own adventure in this process, you know, because what works for one of our friends may not work for you or what works for you may not work for me. You know, there is so much possibility in the way an art, a life as an artist can be created. And I just love that you falling back in love with your practice is like the main goal now. Yeah. Because that, that really solve that will solve everything you know because Mm. that once you're solid in that and your groove everything else will fall into place you know yeah yeah and I kind of realized like like thank god you know um I have had it's really been the fellowships and the museums like that like more so than the market Mm -hmm. like that's been what's sustaining me and what you're saying is like it it's so true because what I realized like I used to have such resistance to that you know because I was like yeah but also bills you know and it's like but you're what you're saying is true like at the end of the day like I uh well we talk about this a lot like what is success to us and what is wealth you Mm -hmm. know even like what is making it in air quotes and It was also, you know, there's a lot of shame around professional artists, like, doing other work, making money other ways besides your art, like, somehow you're not good enough, and that's bullshit. That is, like, the art world is not a meritocracy, 
It's not about who's good. It's not even about who works the hardest. There's so many factors about making a living from being an artist. So many factors, you Mm -hmm. know? So like what I realized, what I realized is that my priorities shifted from at all costs, right? Making sure that I could like have a career as a studio artist and the cost for me was my ground, like quite literally the ground that I was standing on. Mm-hmm. Like the cost for me was also my uh, <laughs> my most precious like relationships. Luckily I have like such a solid fucking crew mm-hmm. and also like, uh, you know, keeping your circle small and your people close. But it was like, I was losing so much and for what? It's not like I was like raking in hundreds of thousands of dollars I think that's beautiful I have friends who are fucking doing the damn thing and I'm so fucking proud of them so it's not about a comparison it's not about which is better I just realized like that changed for me Mm -hmm. um that I was like losing I was I was trying to do that at the expense because a I thought I had to and b because there is stigma around around doing it differently you know that somehow you're lacking Mm -hmm. you're not good enough you're not doing it right and it's just not true what I realized is like oh for me I would rather get a a job aside from my studio work in order to like continue to do the work that I need to do to feel like I'm I can live (laughs) you know and like so I know how to do that you know what I mean I like totally know how to do that and if I need to do that I can do that and that's so much more worth it to me at this point than going back to that place of everything that I actually lost for a very in in perspective a small return yeah and I think that that can be plugged into so many um so many points of existing today in America and capitalist culture, you know, like art is what we happen to be talking about. But I think about so many crafts and trades and like so many things that people like really love or were, it's their safe space. And then it turns, it gets distorted and like grotesque and like it turns into a monster Mm -hmm. almost. And yeah, I think like you have gained so much and your success is knowing what art means to you and never letting that go again you know amen it really like I loved that part of art again go back and listen to the interview (laughs) with Ginger but I loved that how you talked about really changing a a perspective shift around what is success and also what is failure you Mm -hmm. know Um, Mm -hmm. it was very really really cool and I've thought about that a lot and it's so true like yeah that's really really changed for me yeah you know yeah and so with that shift as we sit here (laughs) in the Rockefeller (laughs) estate in um Tarrytown New York where are you now like you're you're back in love with your practice or you're falling back in love with your practice it's becoming that safe space again for you you're feeling pretty regulated. You found your groove. You found your toolkit. You've made it through Yale. 
you know, it maybe wasn't the expectation that you had been fed or, or determined, but it's actually generating a whole new set of values for you. So where are you headed? What do you want? Well, oh, you know, uh, Kingston and I decided to make the move from the city to the country. Oh, wow. That has been everything. I'm so grateful. And honestly, just the amount of stability that that's afforded us to be in our home and to be on uh, five acres of land. And actually, I know I keep on talking about you guys, but um, so me and Kingston went in January uh, of the previous year to New Mexico because Kingston had never been there before. And it really is like one of the most important places to me geographically. Mm -hmm. And so I was so excited for us to go together. And we went and visited you and Chinupa. We visited uh, all the homies. And it was so cool because everyone had kind of figured out in really different ways how to be on land and how to have a studio like really close by if not like right next door to their house you know mm -hmm. and everyone had figured out how to like just in these ways that were so inspiring to both of us and seeing you in Chinupa how you had set up your house story is really really inspiring maybe that's something for another conversation but in terms of how you all have built that but the studio was so cool because we went into Chinupa's studio and that's when I learned um, about the possibility of getting like a prefabricated shed from Home Depot and then winterizing it and then you have your own studio space. And literally when I got the Joan Mitchell Fellowship, I turned around and took that and just did the same thing from that from being inspired from that model because suddenly it felt so much more possible. Mm -hmm. Whereas like before I just thought like, oh yeah, maybe if I'm like raking in six figures, I could do that, you know? Like building a studio from the ground up seemed like bananas, but being like, oh, a prefab shed, you know? And then you, and then you change it. One of my best friends is a retired contractor and came and like I was basically his assistant for <laughs> so amazing I love that. months you know and we yeah. just like I mean it was pretty much Asa I kind of like <laughs> fucked up things and he was like fixing my mistakes but we like did it together you know and so we're here at the Rockefeller residency right now but I am going home to my own studio yeah yeah you know, mm -hmm. like I have a place that I can like walk out the door and I can make my work and that's what's next, you know. Mm -hmm. Also, like one of the things that I had to figure out in order to continue to work was um, I realized like uh, I needed weekends. I needed to have weekends. Yeah. I needed two days where me and Kingston or me and the homies where we can just like do fuck all. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, and reset. just like, yeah, like. That's a good hack. Yeah, weekends. 
Take them off, <laughs> artists. Take them off. <laughs> Whatever two days. But I learned that it's actually the weekend because everybody else takes it off that take advantage of that. Exactly. That's what I did too. I was like, oh yeah, everyone else is like doing what, okay, Monday through Friday, bitch, here we come. Friday can also be, if you need three days, you know, yeah. throw Friday in there. Exactly. Exactly. So wow. I just feel like I have to work with what I have to work with, you know, mm -hmm. this isn't something like my friend would say it's not it's not actually a recovery model like mm -hmm. i'm like shifting and learning how to live with what i'm working with you know and mm -hmm. how to work with what i got and i don't have any expectations of that being stable and at the same time i have so many more tools and so much more like understanding and i feel like really really ready to just like um continue along that path mm -hmm. of making my work of sharing what's mine to share um and also of just like living just like yeah marcia linehan who ma made dbt her whole premise is to build a life worth living mm -hmm. and that's um that's my focus right now yeah what's amaryllis's way you know like yeah. i mean you've You've researched and mapped so many great artists and peers of what they did mm -hmm. and um, so much reflection of like how you could fit into those other ways. But I'm like, what's your way? Yeah, what is the because way? Because it feels to me like it's just starting and that's what's so exciting. Yeah, it feels, it actually, yeah, I love how you put that because this year, like that process of reclaiming my work has also been a process of like really deciding and like standing behind what that is for me. And also um, it's like such an experiment, you know, but there's like, I wouldn't want to be doing it any other way. It's so beautiful. And so what, what is bringing you joy? What is the exciting part of your practice right now? Because I know that drawing is this cherished safe space mm -hmm. that has carried you through. But since we've been working together, I've been learning about your new material, love, clay, which for some reason keeps coming into my life, even though like, I don't really fuck with it. <laughs> I'm like, there you are again, there Clay. You are. <laughs> hey, hey girl, hey. <laughs> yeah, so one of the ways, uh, because how I'm able to work has totally changed. It's totally fucking changed. It's like, I'm learning, I'm relearning how it is that I'm like making work, I'm able to make work right now. And when I couldn't uh, sit and draw, I was really lucky because down the street from my studio, there was a clay studio that offered clay classes. And this is in New York? This is in New York, in Long Island City. And so I started um, learning from Roseanne Ebner. And it was just like such a great place because this is what I love about craft community. There's so much generosity in sharing knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like, because people are like, oh yeah, you're not gonna make what I make, but I'll show you exactly how I made this. Cause there's like 
that's how it grows, you know? That's mm -hmm. how like craft sustains itself is like a passing on of knowledge and information. Whereas I feel like a lot of times in the fine arts world, because it is such a like market of like the individual genius, there's a lot of like holding your cards close to your chest and not wanting to like share how you make things. Mm -hmm. And I just love that about craft communities. And that's what I experienced. It was Roseanne and Liberty and they have been doing uh, clay for a very long time and they just like literally told me everything they're like you want to work in clay here you go here you go and they watched me like flounder and they watched me be like okay i told you not to but sure go ahead and do it find out for yourself you know so it was like i it was what i love about clay is that it is completely 100 percent a collaboration process with the material it's like we were just in my studio and we were talking about the work that I've been making here during this residency. And you were like, yeah, because once you start, you can't stop. And it's so true. It's like once you start a piece, that's it. Either you're going to go ahead and finish it because the clay will be like, bitch, you waited too long. I'll remember. I'll remember. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So it teaches me so much. It's just like a constant process of working on a completely different timeline, which is really great for me because I will get extremely obsessive and I'll get obsessed with different decisions and all of my inner uh, demons will come for me. I mean, here's the thing. Art, a lot of artists, we're working by ourselves a lot which means just like us in our minds and a lot of times my mind is a very uh scary place to be sometimes you know it's not always just like ah catching the winds of inspiration like so clay helps me to like there's like someone else in the room you know what mm. i mean it's just like there's not so as much uh obsession or over thinking things you kind of just have to go with the timing of the clay you can't for I am learning I can't build too fast I can't build too slow like I have to be both patient and like flexible and swift at the same time and I'm just learning so much with that material and it just helps me to like keep going mm. I've found so like all the things that I've been trying to do in the symbol languages of my drawings clay kind of just does that like being what it is which is so beautiful to me mm. and challenging i'm so green at it you know that i'm learning a lot and the cool thing about that is that i don't have uh i have i have the technical skills that i learned but i don't have training around a value system of what's good or what's bad in terms of clay so I don't have those same restrictions, you know, mm -hmm. of, of technique, which is both like, you know, wonderful and also a stumbling block, but I'm here for it. And your true master's <laughs> degree. <laughs> oh, <Wow>, totally. <laughs> oh my God. MFA who? I know. Never heard of her. <laughs> it's beautiful though like coming all this way through this journey of like the 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 prescribed pathway like ticking all the boxes doing all the things and then kind of dismantling it whether or not you like it just kind of like starting back again from scratch yeah. and finding earth finding land finding clay yeah and then 
it, there's just a, there's a really beautiful story and it feels like it's just in the very beginning stages. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I feel, I feel that. I feel like, uh, like, uh, what would you call it? When in a volcano, it's just like building, 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 and you can't see anything on the surface for a long time, you know? But mm -hmm. it's just like generating, or even with like seeds, you know? You don't see shit forever, and then it's like... <laughs> all of a sudden. All of a sudden. Boom. It's like, oh, those grew overnight. It's like, no, bitch. <laughs> they were growing. They were working hard. You just couldn't see it. They had to get out into the light. <laughs> I know. I feel that way. I feel that way seeing seeing you over the past couple years you know and knowing you for so long and just thinking back to like those days in Santa Fe when we were in our early 20s and just like fucking around and making art because art was just a way to form community and exactly. like get to know ourselves and I think that that's what art can always be is that friend that shows you your reflection you know and just like like always kind of just there and turning it into a commodity and going through art markets can be really sustaining, but you have to be prepared. And we always talk about how the art world is a game and just mm -hmm. to know that and own it and participate willingly in the way that you can, but just know it's a game and play it the best you can. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, uh, I've learned so much about that from you because I, I see you as having a really healthy relationship with that where you're like, like yeah real talk let's play it let's play the game you know you're but you also have a like you see the game too you mm -hmm. know like you know what's going on you have a perspective and that's been really really great for me to see because um i really like i just want to say i just think there's no shame in like getting your bread you know what i mean and like getting all the accolades and going forth and playing the game and like all of that and also like it doesn't have to be at the expense of community of looking out for each other of being able to recognize the, the those different systems of domination and making choices around how and when and if and where we are participating or how we're not you know that like you were saying about the complexity it's not right or wrong there's a lot of nuance you know mm -hmm. um and something that i love about our relationship and something that i realize is really important is like artists we have to have each other's backs because the economy of art is set up for us to be silent it's set up for us to be opaque to keep our cards close it's set up for us to be in competition and lightweight afraid of being of like uh, sacrificing invitations or opportunities if we uh, share with each other certain experiences, you know, or certain realities. And like we just have to have each other's backs, you know, mm -hmm. and going back to like how we connected with art and community, like really just sharing, really just being like sharing work because we had to mm -hmm. in order to you know, stay here. Yeah. Yeah. Straight up. Yeah. 
I, I feel that so much and I'm excited for what's to come and um, I think that this has been such a, again like whenever we talk I'm like okay I'm here to I'm here to be in support of you or vice versa but we ended up just like weaving everything together yeah and I really feel so excited about this conversation and so grateful for your generosity and just providing so much kind of behind the scenes of a uh, person like Amaryllis, you know, are we, are, should we come out with your new name? Well, I will say, <laughs> I love that. You're like starting with the old name, ending with the new name. I just was like, there are flowers everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> you, well, matching. Matchy, matchy. <laughs> well, I um, am changing my name. I'm changing my last name. That's why, like, uh, you know, Ginger's been helping me phase out that last name in terms of my work and just using my first name. I am going to have a last name. I'm waiting to do, like, a naming ceremony and also have it be uh, legal. Legal is <laughs> getting my ID and paperwork in order. Um, and then maybe we can do another conversation yeah yes, little darling. announcement <laughs> well I can't wait and I'm so excited for the evolution and the rebirth and you know I just feel like another stigma that we have been taught especially as femme people as women as um, people who uh, come into the world as like beauty as a standard of mm. success and vitality mm -hmm. that I f greatly feel that you can come into your full self at any point in life whether it's in your 40s or 50s or 30s or 60s or 70s or even 80s yeah you know like there's no point to measure it's just about like what you're getting out of this life and I feel like you have taken the path so far to remember that, you know? Mm. You, you've had it your whole time right here with you, so. Well, um, we remind each other too, you yeah, know? Yeah, Because I don't know about you, but I forget all the fucking time. <laughs> I need that reminder. <laughs> like, forget uh, it. <laughs> um, so let's just end it with a, a little advice. Like, is there anything that you want to pass on? I mean, you've given so much generous, like, information um, from your perspective, but... Advice is a weird word and I always stumble on it and I'm like, ugh, well, what is it, you know? But just maybe anything that you wish was told to you at a point that could have helped you a little bit along the way. Or maybe it was told to you, but you weren't listening. Yeah. <laughs> Very possible, as my mother would attest. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if you have anything that you kind of hold close to yourself now that um, that you could pass along to anybody listening who might be in a space that you've been recently yeah I mean so many uh, honestly so many things uh, come to mind I guess just on a very practical tip I want to shout out fireweed collective where some of our dear friends work because it's an organization that creates uh, support for specifically BIPOC queers who are living with different mental illnesses and they do a lot of incredible advocacy work. I'm very clear that's not that's not my work. I can only share my experience but there's so many people who are just really changing shit 
and then also Manhattan Alternatives as well if you're in New York um you know like I really appreciated and still do Maria Bamford's comedy because she was the one person who just like that I could find anyways that talked about like losing work that talked about like not being able to work Mm. um because there's so much like there was for me anyways so much uh it was it was painful not to work and also uh, so many like uh feelings of around self-esteem and not being able to work so I guess part of why I decided to share it is if there are any artists out there that are just like really struggling that's not a reflection of your work I just really want to say that that we're all working with different things you know I hate that meme that's like you have the same amount of hours in the day as Beyonce or something and it's like no we can't going back to what we were talking about before around like we can't compare each other's paths because we're all working with different cards you know and so I guess like I just like want to have so much grace for the ways that people are fucking going through it right now and not everyone's experience is the same and so every way is going to be different you know and I think I and I wish that I would have I guess given myself that luckily I have really dear friends who are able to like anchor that for me but I want to like say that to anyone who's like feels like they shouldn't be here anymore Mm. or that they don't have what it takes that's all a lie making it is really just making your work Mm. I don't care what else you do you know Mm -hmm. but um yeah weekends (laughs) weekends and I was just thinking about that term have what it takes feels like very um capitalist and extractive like we don't need to we don't need to have what it takes (laughs) so true (laughs) we're good it's so true we don't need to have what it takes if you could see ginger's body language she's taking something imaginary she's taking it (laughs) we don't need we don't need to have what it (laughs) takes love the wordplay (laughs) you said it (laughs) but you said it said it Oh, well, I love you so much and thank you so much for our friendship and we're going to grow old together and probably hopefully still not have it figured out. Oh, yes. I love that. I love you so much. I'm so grateful for all of our work together and for our friendship. It's just like the best. It's just the best. And I'm so grateful for the work that you do. Um, Oh, and stay fucking weird. Stay weird. Stay weird. (laughs) At all costs. At all costs. (laughs) Stay weird. Please, we need it. (laughs) Maybe, like, you know, if you got to puke from the fear of being, like, really, really out here, (laughs) do it. It's uncomfortable as fuck, but stay weird, you know. We need you. Yeah. MC. One of our shorter conversations. That's what's wild. I don't even know what time it is. I'm like, we could have been talking for three hours.
You thought you knew me? We going loony? 